You are listening to the Mom and Dad Podcast. A podcast about balance, growth, and navigating through your 20s and 30s. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mom and Dad Podcast. Yes. Today, we interview Michelle. And Michelle is Justin's sister, my sister-in-law. And we think that you guys are going to leave this episode feeling super inspired yeah. from her story. Definitely. She's an amazing human being. She's a boss mom. She's a great mom. She's almost done with her nurse practitioner, went back to school as a single mom while starting a business, um, which has been a thriving business. So she's a risk taker. She's also very level-headed. She has really, really good advice, really good insight on parenting and still pursuing your passions and what to do when you find yourself in a midlife crisis and you you don't understand your identity or what you what makes you tick um, and finding your passions and having the guts to to go out and, and chase them so yeah it, I, I think you'll you'll love this one and and we really loved doing it because I don't really get to have these types of conversations with her very often so it was fun for me too yeah and we go into Botox a little bit. So if you've ever had, if you have this idea in your head about Botox, we cover all of that, which I always have found the perception around Botox to be fascinating because everyone just has these strong opinions about it, but I don't feel like they truly know about it. I feel like they just see celebrities with tons of work done and they're like, oh, that's what it is. But she dives into that, tells us what it's all about. Yeah, and she's very well versed on it. That yeah. is obviously her her business. If you haven't got, gathered that by now, yes. So with all of that, we hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's do it. Maybe you could tell us a little bit, just a background of who you are. Okay. Who is Michelle? <laughs> One, I am. Justin's sister. <laughs> so that's number one. Um, Justin and Braden's sister. My name is Michelle and I'm 33 years old. I live outside of Portland, Oregon. I am a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for almost 11 years and I am currently in school to get my nurse practitioner degree. I also have two small children, two girls, they're four and seven. And yeah, so I'm doing the working mom life. And the business owner life. That is the newest, the newest venture. Yes. Which has proven to be a fairly profitable venture (laughs) thus far. What business is that? Tell us a little bit about it. So I, yes. Well, my business is aesthetics. So for those people who don't know what aesthetics mean, because a lot of people look at me blank faced when I say that and they're like, well, what does that mean? Do you do skincare, like facials or brows? Or I get like, do you get lash? Do you do lashes? I get that a lot. So aesthetics is a broad term, like an umbrella term for anything that has to do with, I guess, improving um, the aesthetic features of your face specifically, but it's not limited to face. It's also um, any area of your body. And 
the reason why I like it, so it's, it's mostly just Botox, that's botulinum toxin. A lot of people know what that is. Um, and fillers, dermal fillers, which is hyaluronic acid typically. And then other treatments like Kybella, which is like fat dissolving um, in areas like underneath your chin and around like the bra fat area. People do it many different places that it's not, it's only FDA approved for under chin, but you can do it elsewhere. And there's just certain things that you do to enhance your confidence and they need to be done. These procedures need to be done by a medical professional, such as a nurse, um, RN, LPN, it depends by state, but also like an MD, a DO, an MP, a PA, et cetera, but really should be a medical professional who are, who are administering these medications because they are prescription medications. Right. So filler is acid? No, okay. It does sound bad, but it's actually not. So hyaluronic acid is what basically what's in your tears, your joints. It's a lubricating fluid. Um, it's moisturizing and it's in most skincare products. It holds about a thousand times its weight in water. So it's, it actually is used for sports injuries. It's used for, we do hyaluronic acid injections into knee joints, shoulder joints, hip joints um, at the clinic, even like family practice uh, and sports medicine doctors do this, naturopaths do it kind of to improve the like lubrication and uh, movement of the joint. So it's not just for, for cosmetic purposes. A lot of procedures are used not just for cosmetics, like headaches and yeah, jaw, like what you're talking about mm-hmm. with your TMJ and all that stuff. Yeah, I think it's a misconception that Botox is just used. It's actually was invented for spasms and it was used for eye spasms and Jean Carruthers, I she was back in, I don't know, I think the seventies, um, realized when she injected a patient with Botox for her eye spasms, the patient came back and asked her to inject it a little bit farther in by her brow where her quote 11 lines are, because she said that the lines went away. And so that's how it was then discovered. It could be used to remove wrinkles and to smooth wrinkles. So um, it's been used for headaches, TMJ, migraines specifically, uh, TMJ, temporomandibular disorder, um, bruxism. Lockjaw, like right? Grinding your teeth. Yeah, yeah, that too. I mean, it's used, it's, it relaxes the muscle. So if you think about anywhere where you have a lot of muscle tension, people get it in the trapezius muscle, Botox in the bladder even for bladder spasm, incontinence. I mean, there's so many different uses for it that a lot of people aren't aware of sweating in your hands, excessive sweating in your armpits. So there's a lot of uses for Botox. I think there's such a stigma when you hear the word Botox, which Mm -hmm. I want to get into that like the controversy of getting work done because I think it's just so there's just this idea behind it that is Mm -hmm. like taboo yeah taboo you're spending money on yourself and people see that as being vain or you're selfish and you should be spending you should just embrace your wrinkles you earned them and and that's fine if that's 
your prerogative and that's what you want to do, but not everybody feels comfortable in their skin. No pun intended, <laughs> but <laughs> they don't, they, they don't want to grow older with their wrinkles apparent. They want to smooth their wrinkles because it makes them feel better. And if it makes you feel better, then why not do it? Right. What are some things that people say as well about, about getting filler and Botox that you hear? I hear a lot of different things, but a lot of people think there's a lot of misconceptions about um, the safety of it. I mean, some people think you're actually going to get botulism, which is a rare, very rare disease, and you're not you're not going to get botulism from botulinum toxin. Yes, it sounds bad. We're giving you botulinum toxin, <laughs> which is, I mean, yeah, it comes. It's in the soil and in it could be found in canned food, bad canned food. And it is obviously can cause botulism if you were to have it in massive amounts. And mm -hmm. what we're projecting is just tiny, 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 tiny amounts. Um, we're talking like maybe one, two, three units at a time in one like in your forehead, we do like, you know, one or two units, little blebs underneath the skin uh, into the muscle and even higher doses, like into the jaw, they're not going to go systemic into your bloodstream and circulate throughout your nervous system and cause you to have botulism. It stays pretty local. And as soon as it goes in, it starts to settle in in that muscle and just relax the muscle. Hmm. Well, there's people are concerned about that. They're concerned about long-term effects. And really, we, I mean, we've been watching Botox for, um, I don't know, 30, 40 years now, longer than that. It's because it was started in the seventies. So 50 years even, and we haven't seen a lot of long-term negative effects from it. So it's been relative. It's probably the safest cosmetic procedure that you could do safer than plastic surgery or, you know, going, going under general anesthesia for sure. So it's very safe and people have been doing it. I had a 79 year old patient come in last week and she's doing it for, for 20 years and she's wow. just doing fine. <laughs> she loves she must it. Be glowing. <laughs> she looks great. And so, yeah, that is a lot of people. They just say, I don't want to just go along with it. I'm going to just age gracefully. And yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Just kind of helping them. You can definitely overdo it, but I think everything in moderation. Good with them. And you definitely have a natural approach with your <laughs> injecting. Yes. I, I don't want anyone. I think the best um, work done is when you can't tell that that person has had work done. Mm -hmm. It should look natural. It should look like them, maybe just a little bit younger version of them, but still them and still that person. So you just don't want them to look like they've had work done, which you can do with Botox. And a lot of people do get Botox. They get a lot of procedures and you would just assume that they don't, that they just look that way naturally. But And a lot of people aren't very open about it. That's another thing. People aren't very open about, uh, they'll tag their lash artist or their hair girl or whoever, but they don't want to tell the world that they got Botox because it is, it's a taboo thing still. Right. 
I feel like even a lot of times when people get Botox or filler, they're the only ones that can notice or that can tell that they have it done. Like when I got my under eyes done, no one would have been able to tell. But for me, I could 100% tell the difference between before and after. Yeah. People tell me that all the time. And I think that's good. I say, you know, you're obviously doing it for yourself then. You're not doing it for anyone else. You're doing it for yourself. So that's a good way to look at it. You know, as long as they're happy with the results, then I say, you know, don't do it for anyone else's benefit. Do it for yourself. Have you ever had someone that you were, you felt like they were almost like addicted to it and they, they got it too much or there was too much? (laughs) All the time. (laughs) Do you counsel against that or? Yes. They, uh, yes, all the time. I mean it, and it, it's because you start to get, you just get used to the way that you look because you're looking at yourself every day in the mirror and that becomes your new look. So you, you start to think after like, I don't know, after the spelling goes down a couple months later that it's gone. Um, but that if you look back, then I'll go and show them pictures before we did anything. And I'll say, look at, what your lips looked like here and look at what they look like today. And it's a drastic change, drastic. And they say, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize. Wow. I mean, it's just, and I catch myself doing that. You just get used to it. And so you want to add more, add more, add more, um, because it doesn't look drastic enough. Like you've had anything, they kind of still want to have that, that look where they look like they are freshly plump or whatever but But other people it's more and more apparent the more that they get that yeah you see it and you're like oh my gosh that curl has had way too much work done but they themselves don't really see themselves like that and that's some sort of a type of morphia you should make them carry like carry a before picture in their (laughs) so they can bring themselves back down to earth it does i but usually, and I was surprised, I thought I would get a lot of pushback on it. I thought people would be really upset with me because I would tell them no, but I have to explain to them, if I'm telling you no, it's for your own good, I could easily say yes, take your several hundred dollars and out the door you go. That's how I make my living. But I'm telling you no. So what does that say? I mean, I'm doing it for your own good. So I don't want anyone to walk around looking crazy because someone's going to say, wow, where'd you, where'd you get your, that's your marketing right there. That I, they're a walking billboard for me, essentially. So I want them to look good. And I want them to say, you know, last week a girl said, well, everyone says, to me, wow, you look so refreshed. You, you look like you're glowing. You look so good. What, you know, what'd you do? They can't put their finger on it. And I, that's exactly what I want for you is no one, they, they just are looking at you and they're, they think you've, they're like, what did she do? Did she get her hair done or did she change something? But they can't figure it out. And that's, that's the best is when they're like that. Cause they're like, I kind of tricked them like, like, Oh no didn't do anything or they're honest and they say that, yeah, I got filler, whatever. So yeah. Them. <laughs> yeah. And I want to, for our audience, push them to your account because what is your Instagram handle? My Instagram is Luxie, L-U-X-I-E 
underscore U Y O U underscore aesthetics. Yeah. Cause you post a lot of good information on your page. Yeah. If you want to know anything about Botox or filler or just, just everything about that. Mm-hmm. Go follow Michelle because she posts oh, all the time. It's a full, the social media is like a full-time job. So you didn't always, so this has obviously been within the past, what, have you been doing it for like a year and a half now? Um, yes. It, well, yeah, it'll be two years in August. Two, you've been doing it for two years now? In August. Yeah. So wow. like, a, year, a little over a year and a half. That's nuts. I can't yeah. believe that it's been that long. You're I know. like an expert now. Oh, okay. Well, no, no expert. And actually, even the best injectors have said that you are never an expert until you've been practicing for injecting for like 15 plus years, you know, you, because it's just, there's so much to learn and it's very complex. So, Well, there's, it seems like there's always something new coming out too. Yes. And technique and medicine and the well, healthcare world in general is always changing and evolving, and there's always a new treatment, always a new medication coming out that's better, it says, and claims to be better than the previous one. And then there's always research studies going on to say that, oh, well, that is no longer best practice. Now this is best practice. Forget that. Now this is best practice. And in three years, it'll change, and they'll say, never mind about that. This is best practice now. So you have, it's kind of like you're constantly trying to keep up with the latest because you can't just sit back and learn one way or one technique or learn one time. It's constant learning. You just have to be in it. You have to take trainings and do, go to conferences and do seminars and a lot of different research to stay up with the latest and like evidence-based practice. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. And especially since, so you now we can maybe dive into your the the path that led you to this point right <laughs> so you started off as a nurse and now you're obviously you're almost done being an, becoming a nurse practitioner which we'll talk about um, but, but start from the beginning yeah what Where made you want you, to be a nurse yeah. oh my god did you want to be a nurse and what age did you start that <laughs> process so i realized I wanted to be a nurse pretty early on. I would say I first became interested in it when I was really young, like I think probably seven or eight years old because mom is a nurse and I, I just was so fascinated by what she did because occasionally I would go in, I don't know if it was like one of us got hurt and we went in and I would just like take it all in. And I just was like fascinated because she was working in the ED and urgent care at that time when we were growing up. So I was just totally fascinated with it. And I always thought she was just like a hero in my eyes. I still think that, but at the time, you know, she was just such a role model. I was like, I just want to be just like her. (laughs) And so, you know, like family get togethers of someone, I think someone, one of our aunts, great aunts fell and like hit her head. She was, I'm pretty sure she was bleeding. I mean, it was like pretty traumatic. I think it was at a wedding. And of course she like runs over and, you know, just, she knew what to do. And she snapped into action. She snaps and, and nothing even, she does it without even hesitating. And she did that when we were little and walking through the mall, 
and someone fell down the escalator backwards in their wheelchair. I don't know why they were trying to go up in a wheelchair anyways, but I vividly remember that situation. And she ran over and she just handled, you know, because she was an emergency room nurse. So she just knew what to do. And so I was always fascinated with that aspect of nursing. And then I started watching these shows like um, Trauma Life in the ER. And it was partial, I think part, part of the episodes were filmed at Emmanuel in Oregon or in Portland. And I was also, I thought that was just going to be like the coolest job ever. And like, it was just, there's nothing in my mind that I wanted to do besides that. I thought maybe I'd be a fashion designer. I like thought, oh, that's a possibility. And then I was like, no, I could never do that. After drawing like five dresses, I was like, that's, that's obviously not in the cards for me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do, I think I was like a maybe sophomore in high school. And I started to go on that track towards nursing. So taking anatomy and physiology classes, all the science classes, instead of the other electives like marketing, I just stayed on the science route kind of knowing in my head that that's where I was going to end up. So I was fortunate to know pretty early on that that's what I was going to go towards. And she didn't just inspire you. I feel like there are several other people in the extended family that became nurses because of her. I don't yeah. know if that's true. I'll have to verify that with them, but I feel like there was a yeah. slew of nurses in the family after my, maybe it was yeah. after that wedding incident. Maybe I have to ask them. You got through high school Yes. Where did you go from there? Um, So I went to community college, Mount Hood, uh, which was like five minutes from our house. And I did all of the prerequisites that are required for nursing. So you do a lot of, a lot more science, biology and chemistry and um, writing and all the other ones that are required for any bachelor's degree at some point, I knew I needed them. So um, I did all of my prerequisites over two years. And then it was you, the next step was to apply to nursing school. So you would apply everywhere. I applied to like OHSU and Portland State and a lot of the community colleges. And I um, got into a few and I realized that after looking, weighing the options of going to community college and then going to state school, I was going to save tons of money <laughs> by going to uh, the smaller, which was the, the, the community college that I was already at. So I thankfully got in and it was a great decision because it was, it was way more affordable than any of the other options. And I still have friends who are trying to pay down their debt from 10 years ago. <laughs> and it's just crazy how much nursing school can be. Is that still a viable option for people to get their associates started as an RN and then get their bachelor's as they go? Yes. However, they, in the past years, they have gotten much stricter on uh, the qualifications to get into hospital positions. And I believe they do want you to have your bachelor's. So it's almost like you have to do what I, what I did. And um, I eventually went back and got my bachelor's, but it's almost like you would need to do that right away is what they're saying or what they're pushing towards. I know that you can get your ADN and get a job as a nurse, but I think they're trying to push towards nurses having bachelor degrees. 
Yeah, but that's still like you could you could do what you did just in a shorter time frame, right? Where you went through, you got your bat, your associates, and then you got your bachelor's from Linfield, right? I did, yeah, and that was a one year accelerated program um, that I went through. I had a discount for working at the hospital that I was at. They discount, so it was a really um, financially it was doable, and it, the work wasn't terrible. It was, I was able to do it while working full-time as an RN. So yeah, it was, it was a good plan. So when did you have your first daughter? So Grace, yeah, my little Grace. So I had her, I think I was, I was 25, I believe. And I was working nights at that time because I had worked nights for like five years. Um, and then after I had her, I realized I wasn't going to be able to continue working nights. It was just, it was way too difficult. And so I had to switch to day shift, which was a blessing. I don't know why it took me so long to do it, but yeah. So I had her when I was about 25. And weren't you still in school or is that the next, you went back to school? I went, started back at school when she was about three weeks old. Okay. I enrolled in classes and I had a, a plan that I was supposed to go back within five years signing this contract with this hospital. They said, we'd like you to go back within five years and get your bachelor's as a part of my signing on with them. And it was coming up on five years. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I actually graduated with my BSN. So I did. I was in school. I kind of forgot about that. That was a blur. Trying to have a born and work and be in school. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I specifically remember that because <sighs> I'm like, how did she do that? I don't even know. Like, you go into – when you have a baby, you kind of have to go into, like, super mom power, I think. But yeah. – um, I, somehow I did it and I was, yeah, it was rough. I was taking statistics. So it was, I had been out of math for many years. It was, it was tough. And then, um, I graduated with my bachelor's. I think it was the very week of five years since I had signed. So I graduated the week before that five-year deadline. Would and it wasn't like just fire you if you, you no, didn't graduate and, before that? No, no, it was not. It, it wasn't going to be like that. And they told me that they said, this isn't, this is like a guidance. We'd like you to do this. We're going to encourage you to do it, but we're not, we're not going to fire you if you don't. But I was proud of myself for doing it with the deadline, but that was typical, like my fashion to like wait to the last minute, like procrastinate as long as possible. And then which is the exact opposite of the way you are now which I also want to talk about, but not oh, right this second. I don't know about that. I still feel like I procrastinate, but. <laughs> no, but I, I also want to come back to something you said about going into like super, I think you put it super mom mode um, yeah. when you have a baby. And David Goggins, former Navy SEAL, crazy person, super ultra athlete. Um, he says, when you feel like you're completely tapped, like you have nothing left, and he was speaking in terms of, of a race or like running a marathon. He's like, you're about 40% gone. So you have a, another 60% that you can give. And I think that 
the one of the coolest things about being a parent and obviously it's different for me as a, a man like I didn't have to birth anything but I think it pulls out of people the realization or like the the yeah I guess the realization that they have so much more in the tank than they realized that they did and I think that's a really cool aspect of parenting that is you know it's it's not talked about very much right but, yeah. no that is true because you don't realize how strong you are until you are faced with zero sleep and well if you just have to do something you just do it you just have to do it there's no and that's how i would ask parents when i had one baby i would say to moms of like three kids and a new baby like how how do you do it like i don't understand i can barely handle one baby and just one child and they'd be like i don't know i just do it and i didn't understand <laughs> i was like why how could you do this it doesn't make any sense but then you do you just you just handle it yeah i can yeah. attest to that i've 100 percent experienced that mm -hmm. just almost oh, yeah. feeling like what yeah like even like with having a second child for us mm -hmm. I'm like, how am I going to do that? Like mm -hmm. having two routines mm -hmm. and getting out of the house even, how am I going to do that? Ugh, so it's like, yeah. you just do it, I guess, you know? You just do it. And then as soon as they can do it themselves, you make them help. They may dress themselves in the craziest clothes, but at least they got dressed. Yeah. 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 So, so moving on to the other thing I wanted to talk about is you, and I'm assuming that it had a lot to do with having children. Um, but you said that you were like a big procrastinator before. And the way that I see you now is you're just like a, you have an idea that you want to do and you just kind of do it, which I think I would argue you get from dad because dad is kind of that way. Yeah. Um, whereas mom's sort of like superwoman save the day with, with nursing skills and jumping into action, dad is more like a, I don't care what people think, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Right. His yeah. YouTube channel is a perfect example. Yeah, um, exactly. But so for, what would you say helped with that transition? Was it all parenting or, or were there any other life experiences that helped you to, I guess, become more assertive or? Or to like uh, take down that barrier of, I'm scared to do this and mm -hmm. you, know, you just go for it. Yeah, I mean, I think my divorce was probably the biggest like life-changing event that happened that made me change everything or made me realize that I didn't even know who I was, what did I what did I want to achieve in the future? And um just it it created like a manifestation of like what I would called the newer version of myself, which I think happens um, to everyone at some point in their life, they go through a different, like a change or an identity crisis. And I think it's because you, uh, you're conditioned to living a certain way and having your life the way it is. And it's, you know, I was conditioned to think, this is my life. I'm married with two kids and I work part-time and it's shift work. So I work these days and then it's great. I can just forget about work and go home. And then I'm a parent the other days because I worked 12 hour shifts. 
but I was also extremely miserable, just like, and I didn't even realize how miserable I was until now looking back, of course, hindsight's 2020, but I was so miserable. One, I was just not, and we weren't in a great situation, or my ex-husband, you know, we, we just, we didn't have a loving relationship. We just were more like roommates. Um, and so it wasn't, I, I don't know how to explain that transition, but it happened after divorce when I realized um, you're kind of like a fish out of water because most moms can agree they don't have a lot of hobbies. If they're a parent of young kids, you don't really have time for hobbies. And so all of a sudden you go from being a parent 24 hours a day to now having three, well, fortunately for me, I co-parent very well with my ex-husband. So he has our girls three days a week. And then all of a sudden, three days a week, you have no purpose. So yes, I worked, but I didn't see, I was like, and I think a lot of people just kind of go crazy. Like they don't know what to do with themselves. And so I just was using that time really poorly. I was just going out with friends all the time and trying, I didn't like being home alone. I mean, I'm just used to like having my, these girls with me all the time. And so it was just a really tough transition. I just put all of my energy into finding a new husband. <laughs> so it's like, well, <laughs> let's just fill the void. I just find me a husband and I'll be happy again. Horrible experience, as you know, with that, which would make anyone never want to date again. So after that, experience with that person I dated after that ended poorly, um, I realized, okay, well, maybe that's not what I need. (laughs) That didn't work out very well. Um, Am I really happy at work? No, I I had gotten completely burned out. um, And this is not to, you know, steer away potential nursing students. But nursing for me, I just became really jaded and I had lost so much compassion for it over the years and the area I was working in was just becoming more and more demanding. And, um, I was experiencing all sorts of like, you know, you're abused on the daily as a nurse, you're getting thrown urinals full of pee and you're just being called every name in the book. And, you know, they just keep telling you, this is just, it's like, it's golden handcuffs because that you have great retirement and pay and benefits and great. You only work two or three days a week or whatever. So after I realized, I don't even know what, I just was at this crossroad. Like, I don't even know what I want to do. I just don't want to do this anymore. And I need to figure out something to do with my life. Like I'm not happy here and clearly didn't work out in the relationship department. So I started thinking, well, maybe I should go into management. And then I had really pursued that hard by like researching it and thinking, oh, I'll go get my master's. And then I can like be a manager of a unit. That would be like the next step up the chain. And then I was quickly like jerked back into reality like that. No, I can't ever, I never would be able to do that. You work like nine to five, you're stuck in traffic. You're dealing with everybody else's problems all day long. And I just was like, that's not for me. I just didn't want to do that. So I just kept thinking and like having these ideas of what I could possibly do. But um, I had met my now medical director in Mexico. She had kind of put the idea in my head about this aesthetics thing. And she had said, oh, this, I'm going to do this course. 
get certified. You should do this. And I just put it in the back of my head, like, oh, that could be fun. But I had, I didn't even really know what, I didn't know what fillers were, to be honest. I had no idea. I knew what Botox was, but I, I had never had it. I didn't know anything about this stuff. And I never thought I would ever do it as a nurse. And so then I realized I could become certified as a nurse. And then I started researching more and more into it. Once I did the course, um, I started to like it a little bit more. And, and I think that was really telling, like, you might not even know what your passion is. You just, just try different things and something might stick. And I mean, I never would have thought I would be doing this a couple of years ago. Like you, I would have laughed, you know, someone told me that I would be doing this. I never thought I would own my own company or business. That was never something I thought I would do. So it's just interesting how you try something and then it just kind of expands and becomes like your new reality. So when you decided to pursue aesthetics, was there any sort of pushback from anyone or did you feel any sort of doubt? Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly just started it, um, as something to do during my time when I was alone, like without kids, I was like, well, I mean, it could be fun and I I could do this like on the, on the nights that I don't have the girls and it would fill my time better than just going on online dates. Um, I'd be making money and maybe I could make, I, I estimated maybe I would make an extra couple hundred dollars a month like maybe just some extra cash, like spending money. I had no plans to ever leave my job, you know, currently at the hospital. But then I I had realized, you know, during this time when I was having this crisis, like, well, I think I probably should, you know, if I'm going to pursue the aesthetics thing and, and go that route, I should go back to school and get my NP. And I had been thinking about it a little bit, uh, for the past like year or so as one of my options. And so that's when I decided there was just no way I was going to be able to go to school and do a, some sort of business and have kids uh, working in the hospital environment. It was just not going to work. So that's when I made the decision to move to home health nursing and case management. That was a much better fit for my schedule. So I did that for about a year and a half. And I want to go back. I, I'm it's cool because I don't normally hear all of this story. Um, I've always always only heard bits of it, but I want to go back to what you said about it. It's good to try to just try things because you really don't know what you're, what you're going to end up liking. And I I always felt growing up and this is something I I've always had a big chip on my shoulder for where you just, you're expected to have it all figured out by the time you graduate high school, like where you want to go, what you're going to study, what you're going to do after that. And like, I don't think that that works out that way for very many people. And especially in our generation where it was a transition where, you know, the previous generations, you went to college if you got a scholarship, but college wasn't like a universal norm and a universal expectation. Whereas for us, like the colleges said, Hey, let's just give loans to everybody. And then everybody (laughs) goes to college and then make it a norm. And now it's this thing that everybody goes to college after and you, you better make it a state school and, you know, so on and so forth. But um, I just think that if, if there was more of a, like, you don't have to have everything figured out by the time you're 21, 
and you can take a couple years to try different things and it's okay to not stick with something right away. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's an important message and it, it's cool that you found something that you really like and you found it by just being willing to step outside of the box and do something that wasn't considered normal um, to, to get there. And I feel like that's been kind of a reoccurring theme on our podcast is we tend to, everyone we tend to interview has, has, has echoed that same theme where they've, they've been willing to try something different or step outside of the box or live in a little bit different way. And I think we need to give ourselves permission to do that. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox, but. No, I think that's exactly right. And it, it is a safety thing. You don't feel like you, you're scared to do it because what you're in is a safety zone. It's that's where you're comfortable and you don't want to jump outside of your comfort. Nothing outside of your comfort zone feels good at first. You're just, no one likes being a novice at anything. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, and it's it goes against the expectations, which I think mm-hmm. is another thing, but yeah. yeah. I think True. that's what fulfills life is when you're in that comfort zone for too long, mm-hmm. like it could almost induce regret later on because you're like, Oh, I didn't try anything, you know, Mm -hmm. or I didn't expand my knowledge of what I really enjoy, you know? So I think just growth and stepping out of your comfort zone is what brings fulfillment in life. Yep. I agree. Totally. Oh, I kind of want to talk about specifically starting a business. Obviously you've already talked about, you never thought that you would, most people I feel like have this, this, this incredible dread of starting a business. Like it seems like the hardest thing in the world. Um, when you decided to start a business, what were some of the, the roadblocks or the hurdles that you had to get over? And like, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe thinking about starting a business, but they're afraid to? So I think I didn't even realize, I mean, that I was starting a business. <laughs> I it honestly just kind of fell into my lap. Um, I took this course and the next thing I knew I was applying for my LLC because apparently that was something that you had to do. And then, well, now that I'm in, now I need to get a business license and then, Oh, now, well, you're not doing book. You have to do bookkeeping. And so I, you know, I got an accountant and then she set up a, um, an Excel spreadsheet for me. And she taught me how to keep my books straight every month. Um, and then I had to, you know, I got a checklist. Basically I started writing stuff down. Well, I don't even know what I'm doing. I mean, this is insane. I literally just been a shift worker my entire adult life. And now I am, you know, applying for a business credit card and I'm opening up a business account and I'm getting malpractice insurance for my business and all of this stuff. It was so foreign to me. So I guess I didn't really think that much about, I tried not to think that much about it because I thought like, there's just no, I mean, I'm not actually doing this for like to try to make a profit. I'm just doing this for fun. And so it wasn't so stressful for me um, knowing that I, I wasn't putting all of my eggs in one basket. I wasn't jumping off the ledge I still had my foot in the door with my career, my, my job, my day job. So I was still working 40 hours a week. I was still making an income enough to pay my mortgage and support my kids and myself. 
So this was something that was like low risk for me. And I did have to put quite a bit of money up front, which was a lot actually for me at the time. I almost drained my savings, um, pretty much drained my savings actually starting the business. It ended up being a lot more than I thought it was going to be to buy all the supplies and like get started and that kind of thing, um, all of your product. And I didn't quite understand that you're in the hole every month to start. <laughs> and then you build your way out of that hole. And I thought the first time I had to put like $8,000 on my credit card at just one charge, just for buying product, mm -hmm. just for my business that was gone in a few weeks. You know, you're, you're just like, Oh my gosh, I hope I make this back. You know, I hope I can pay this credit card. But what you realize, like as time goes on is that it just becomes like anything else. It just becomes so much easier the more you do it. And then you're like, Oh, I got to It's the first of the month. I got to do my pay all these bills and, and do my books and order more product. And, and something I realize is you just have to be accountable because there's no one else when you're running the one woman show, there's nobody else keeping you in check. So if you don't order the product and have it in time, when that patient comes in, I mean, it's on you it makes you look bad. Or if you show up late, there's no one else there. Like, you just have to be accountable. There's no one else to, to watch over you. Or so fill your shift. or yeah. fill your shift. You can't, I mean, I don't, I haven't, I think I canceled on, um, one day of people because of the ice storm and I physically could not leave my house because of it, but you, you do. I mean, of course people, your kids are going to get sick sometime and that kind of thing, but you just have to show up and be so much more accountable than, I guess sometimes as a nurse, you know, you knew that sometimes you could call in and it wouldn't be as big of a deal and you were going to get paid for your sick time and that kind of thing. But if I don't go in, I don't get paid. So, yeah. and it doesn't look good. but, um, so yeah, it was a big, uh, transition trying to go from shift to shift work to owning your own business. But, uh, for people who are wanting to, or even thinking about starting a business, I would say my best advice to them is ex do exactly that is keep your foot in the door of your current job, at least long enough for you to get your bearings and to get going to where it does feel comfortable. Maybe it's a year or maybe it's five years or maybe it's never, maybe it's always your side hustle because when it's a side hustle, it's safe. You still have your safety net. And you don't feel like you're, you know, taking a huge risk. Right. So I would say just keep your foot in the door. Yeah. And I, I, I think that a lot of like purist entrepreneurs are like, you have to burn the boats. Like if you're going to do it, you have to do it all in, like quit your job, which I think that that, that there should be more, again, like expectations. I think there should be more people starting people. side hustles. Like I, I don't, I don't see, I, I think people I frown on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great way to start any business is just as a side hustle. And then when it gets comfortable, then take the leap. Yeah. And just be willing to take the opportunities that come as you take little steps towards it. You don't have to completely uproot your life and change. Like what you did, you, things just came to you and then you took the opportunity. Like you were bold enough to keep taking the next step. And now you're at a point where your business is thriving. So yeah, I, yeah. 
I, I like that message. I, I, I think that's a good thing for people to know. I think a majority of the people you're talking about, like the purists, were probably single. Mm. Mm. <laughs> or they were not completely Maybe. committed to their relationships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, and I couldn't. There's no way it was hard enough for me to quit my job when I did uh, eventually quit my job, my full-time job and focus on this hundred percent in December. That was really scary for me knowing that I was going to be taking my full-time job and income that pays all of my bills and just letting it go and just hoping that I was going to be able to make it and fly on my own yeah. as a business. And obviously like there's people that do great things in the world that burnt the boats and they uproot their lives and they have really supportive partners who are there every step of the way. So I think we need all types, but I'm just saying like we shouldn't frown on the side hustle. Like I think it's a, it's a good thing to have or a good thing to add value to the economy, to your community, so on and so forth Individual. and to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely gives you purpose. Mm -hmm. Especially as a mom. Mm -hmm. How has that affected your parenting and your being a mother having these business, this business? Well, I think that having the, the business, um, it's been much easier to manage the work life and mom life since I quit my job, I was burning the candle at both ends when I was working 40 hours a week. And then also on top of that in school and on top of that, working at my business two or three days a week, and then also trying to be a parent. It was, I was doing that for about a year and a half and I just was losing my mind. Like I couldn't do it anymore. And I was failing, not failing, but slacking in all of those areas because I just couldn't keep up. Um, but once I got, once I quit my job and I could just focus on the work itself, my business and school and the kids, I mean, just taking that piece out, it was huge for my sanity. I felt so calm. I felt like I was on top of things again. I had more time with the girls. And of course, like any mom would tell you, mom guilt is the worst. I mean, it's, it's horrible and it, it kind of um, rears its ugly head when you're like we were talking about earlier. It's like you were told from the age of, you know, elementary school, you're told you need to go to college, you need to get a degree, you need to get a job. Then you do that and then you become a mom and you're like, well, now what do I do? Now I feel really bad about going to work and I feel really guilty about leaving my kids. And so you're in just this really rough spot to be it's just a really tough spot to be in and I would be lying if I said I didn't have like mom guilt still I mean it's gotten a lot better since I quit one of my jobs but that was a big struggle for me going back to work full-time and having kids that was really hard so I think balance and boundaries are really important and that's something that I'm just constantly trying to work on about turning off I had to turn off my notifications on my phone on like my Instagram and email and all of that because I get them when you are a business owner your work never stops unlike shift work and so you're constantly getting messages and for me I want to 
when I see it, I just want to respond right away. I can't let it just sit there. I just, I, and that's taking when I'm with the girls, that's me. I mean, I still do it, but I don't do it. I mean, once I turn off the notifications, just doing that helped so much because then it wasn't constantly lighting up. The second you see your phone light up, you just want to, you know, respond. I, I want to tell this person how much this costs or how they make a consultation or whatever, because I don't want them to have to wait. So uh, turning off the notifications and that was helpful. Um, setting working hours. So I try to tell people instead of me responding right away, just expect I will get back to you in 48 hours. Um, just little things like that. I've, I've tra trained myself to try to set these boundaries and actually not overworking myself in general because I was working, working my full-time job and then also the aesthetics business way too much for any person to handle. So now I work one day a week while in school and that's plenty. That's good. I don't, I mean, people ask all the time if they can, can I, can I get worked in quicker? And even though I'll have the day off, I just realized, and I used to, would I go in and just treat them. I just realized I can't do that. This is, I need to set working hours. So that's been helpful. Yeah. And I think you doing this and you getting out of your comfort zone and starting your own business is going to be such a great example for the girls. I hope so. <laughs> maybe not something that they realize right now, but in the long run, they're going to see your example and they're going to realize that, oh, I can take risks and mm -hmm. I can step out of my comfort zone and do something hard. Mm -hmm. so. Yep. And that, that you can do both. I think um, so many people think you can't. Um, you know, be a career woman and an engaging mother, but you can, you just have to navigate through it and just try to figure it out because many people do, they do it successfully. Their kids are happy. And there is this misconception that, you know, you're, tra you're going to traumatize your kids. If, of course, if you're gone all the time, you're never with them. You're never giving them any attention. Yes. But there is such thing as balance when it comes to working and being a mother. Yeah. And it doesn't mean it's going to be a positive experience the whole time. Like it's probably going to have its ups and its downs, but just, I don't know, sticking with it, having grit and getting through it. Termination. And yeah. It being a positive thing overall. Yeah. Speaking of that, there is a quote that I heard um, by this guy, John A. Shedd in like the 1920s and he was an author and he wrote this book of like little like a collection of sayings like uh inspirational quotes and sayings and he said a ship in the harbor is safe but that is not what ships are built for and i like could not agree more that resonated with me like yes it's safe but that's not what they're built for and that's what you know we get one chance in life and it's not a dress rehearsal, we guess this is it. So whatever you believe in, whether you, this is your only chance or you reincarnate as like a tree or you move on to the afterlife. Like, I mean, most people agree that this is your one shot. And so I just think you might as well just go for it. Yeah, I like that quote. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us today. I think people are going to listen and they're just going to feel 
incredibly inspired from your story. So thank you for joining us. And of course, thank you for having me. Yeah. And we will catch you guys on the next episode.